Thank you for joining us for another podcast from the Commonwealth Club. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, good afternoon and welcome to today's meeting of the Commonwealth Club of California. We also welcome our radio and internet audiences and we welcome everyone to visit us online at www.commonwealthclub.org. My name is Dr. Patrick O'Reilly. I'm co-chair of the Commonwealth Club Psychology Forum, and I'm absolutely delighted to introduce today's speaker, Ms. Tiffany Woods. Tiffany is a wife, mother of three, trans woman, longtime barrier LGBTQI advocate, community organizer, and recognized local, state, and national leader. She made political history in 2016, being selected as an at-large delegate for Hillary Clinton to the Democratic National Convention, one of the first three trans delegates to ever attend the convention. She spent 16 years creating and implementing groundbreaking nationally and internationally recognized transgender services and programs at an FQHC clinic in Fremont, ensuring that trans community had access to affirmative responsive health care. So please welcome Ms. Woods. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Patrick. Dr. O'Reilly, one of our fabulous co-chairs of the Psychology Forum. And he actually asked me to come back, so they don't normally ask me to come back. So. Or at least I anticipate they don't. So anyways, welcome, everybody. I'm excited to be here. Um, I want to thank the Commonwealth Club for having me back, and uh, I want to welcome our NPR audience. Um, hopefully this will be playing on NPR in a week. It was last time. So I want to be mindful that we have radio listeners who don't see the screens and won't see my antics up here. So I'm going to be reading from the slides. It's a little bit non-traditional um, or I'll be reading from here and referencing so they understand what we're talking about. Um, well, here we are. Um, transgender health the age in the age of Trump and attempted erasure of trans Americans. That's where we are on June 17th, 2019, right? Crazy. So when I was here last year on July 31st, I did the first one. Um, Patrick wanted me to do something on trans health and mental health. And at that time I was working at a, a clinic. And so we tied in the mental health component and how, the daily tweets and all the attacks since day one has affected the trans community and then how we were responding to it, you know, on the ground in real time. So this time I wanted to update it, but I'm updating because Trump's still doing stuff daily, weekly. So we're going to focus on some of the negative highlights. I call it Trump's greatest anti-trans hits. And then we're going to switch gears into focus on the resiliency of trans Americans. And despite these unprecedented attacks against us, we're still thriving. And some members aren't, but there are some across the country that have had amazing successes and victories. And it's important that we focus on the successes and victories while we call out the attacks and document them. Um, And the hope is that we leave people with some hope and resiliency and, um, you know, that strength to go out there and keep fighting and uh, keep thriving. So mindful of the time we're starting on time. So I'm going to start this. Um, Yeah. I'm going to use my glasses. From the moment that President Trump was sworn in, LGBTQ people were erased from White House, Department of State, and Department of Labor websites, and he has been targeting the LGBT community ever since. Legislating and erasing LGBT Americans, specifically targeting trans Americans and non-binary Americans, out of existence at the worst, and second-class citizens at the least at the federal and state level. According to GLAAD, in Trump's first year in office, 2017, there were over 100 anti-LGBTQ bills introduced in over 30 states. So think about that. It's so hard to keep track of them now. And we have multiple agencies across the country, Transgender Law Center, GLAAD, National Center of Transgender um, Equality, the National Lesbian Gay Task Force, Fenway Health, Human Rights Campaign, Um, and others all documenting and trying to keep up in real time. And it's not easy. A lot of shit they do in the middle of the night. Can I say that on a radio? They do in the middle of the night. (laughs) 
Since the day President Trump took office, his administration has specifically waged a nonstop onslaught against the rights of trans and gender non-binary Americans. In order to keep the administration accountable for its policies and help trans people, communities, allies keep track of actions taken against us, here are some of the major changes implemented or attempted by the Trump administration since my talk last year on October 31st. Now, realizing that where is litigation almost everywhere at every action across the country in different states. So we know the litigation is going on. Um, we've won a lot. We've lost a lot. And we keep refiling. And so there will be litigation. So this, this slides don't reference the litigation because we know it's happening. Um, it's critical that we call out the Trump administration at every opportunity, especially in non-trans and LGBTQ forums, venues, and spaces. So let me be clear. Having this presentation at the Commonwealth Club is critical, and I'm really excited um, to be here and thank the Commonwealth Club for this opportunity because we're calling it out in our own spaces but we need our allies supporting and calling it out too, because this affects everybody. And everybody that's being targeted are somebody's child in this country. There's somebody's brother, sister, daughter, mother, aunt, niece, child. So we need to keep that in mind. Um, so let's talk about Trump administration's greatest anti-trends hits part two. Let's see if this is even going to, oh, it's not even going to work. Hmm, there we go. All right. We're going to go backwards. Here we go. So I kind of did it in a chronological order starting in last October. Again, these are just the biggest hits. So August 28th, the brief states asked Supreme Court to limit transgender legal protections. Transgender Law Center, we have some guests here from the Transgender Law Center, and I'm excited that you're here because you guys have been on the front lines, um, especially in the South, and we, without you, it would be worse. Um, this brief challenged the legal rights of transgender adults to equal employment in defiance of two decades of federal case law, officials from 16 states have asked the Supreme Court to declare trans people have zero employment protections under the law. Um, so what I do is I literally pull things from different headlines, right? So we're not making this stuff up, right? These are literally, you'll recognize this from the Hill. And a lot of what I'm doing, I'm not reinventing the wheel. I'm just literally pulling it. And my mom, who's in the front row over here, thanks, mom, for coming and visiting. If you stayed in my front row, I'm going to, you know, pick on you. Um, but my mom made a good point the other day is uh, not a lot of people read the news or have access or don't take the time, and especially if it doesn't affect them. And so this is an opportunity to kind of pull this stuff together to just really show you how massive it is and impactful it can be all in one source. Okay. He followed that up in August. He was busy in August. The Department of Labor released a new directive for Office of Federal Contract Compliance Program, staff encouraging them to grant broad religious exemptions. You'll see that as a theme, broad religious exemptions. We know this has been something that the religious right has been um, planning for a long time, probably the entire eight years of the Obama administration. Um, so this one would be broad religious exemptions to federal contractors with religious-based objections to complying with non-discrimination laws. Deleted material from their website um, on the FKHE, facts and questions on LGBT non-discrimination protections that had previously clarified the limited scope of allowable religious exemptions. In October, the Department of Health and Human Services rolls back the Affordable Care Act. And a lot of people, did, this didn't get a lot of attention. The Affordable Care Act's birth control benefit, allowing the use of religious exemptions to deny health care to women, trans men, and gender nonconforming people who rely on the no-comp copay contraceptive benefit. So this was a big deal. So when we think about birth control and reproductive rights, please include trans and non-binary Americans in that, especially trans men, um, because they're being left out of the national conversations, and it's critical that we make sure that everybody is included in these conversations. And then here's the famous trans erasure. It, just, it deserves its own slide. Trans erasure, October 21st, 2019. The memo leaked that the New York Times picked up that would define out of existence under the Trump administration. And we think is, this is believe this is one of their end goals, right? They found a way to kind of circumvent all of these, you know, states' rights, legal rights, all these different Title VII's, Title IX's, and different titles. And this would be the big deal. Trump administration is considering narrowly defining gender as a biological, immutable condition. It's a condition. 
our lives are reduced to a condition. Determined by genitalia birth, the most drastic move yet in a government-wide effort to roll back recognition and re- protections of transgender people under federal civil rights law. Sex means a person's status as male or female based on immutable biological traits identifiable by or before birth. The department proposed in a memo. The sex listed on a birth person's birth certificate is originally issued shall constitute definitive proof of a person's sex unless rebuted by reliable genetic evidence. So now we're talking about genetic testing. So what this really means in breaking down a real line is, is no matter if you've had surgery, if you have changed all your documentations, whatever your birth certificate said 20 years ago, five years ago, 35, in some people's case, 55 years ago, and I look good for 55 because 55 is a new 35. So um, <laughs> that's it. It doesn't matter. doesn't matter whatever that birth certificate said, and the government's going to decide that. Now, remember, we have uneven laws across the state where a lot of states you can't even change a birth certificate or your ID, right? So in California, we can't amend our birth certificates. I suggest you do it before and then bury it, time castle somewhere until Trump administration is gone. But right, so think about, I can change my birth certificate here in California and amend it, and maybe they won't find out that I'm trans. Everything else has changed. But you can't do that in a lot of, like, it's, it's like 20, probably 30 states now. There's a list you can get. So this is a big deal. They're saying, Trump administration is saying that this is to make, just make it uniform across the, across the, the federal departments, right? Education, uh, health and human services. Uh, what are the other ones? Military, Pentagon, Department of Justice. They'd all have the same definition. It just makes everything easier. The agency's proposed definition would define sex as either male or female, unchangeable, and undetermined by the genitals that a person is born with. So this is the, probably the biggest thing that got the news. Follow that up, October. He was a busy child in October, I'm telling you. What were we doing in October that we were all like not like paying attention? I think we were all, but I guess they thought that October was just going to be his greatest hits. Uh, ongoing effort, part of the Trump administration, replace gender with a biological essentialist definition of sex. Here we go with this definition. And this is at the United Nations level. So he's trying to add the language of get rid of gender and anything to do with gender because they're smart. They've gone through all of our trans language that we've used to get our civil rights and have been replacing that language. They don't want anything with gender. So they want to get back to male and female. And this is a big deal in the United Nations because it, it becomes a global U.S. policy. Erasing all references to gender identity and the issues related to trans and gender nonconforming people. So instead of saying violence against gendered gender, it's violence against women. So we, they want to go back to the male-female binary. This didn't get a lot of play. October 24th, the day before this, the Department of Justice writes in a brief to the Supreme Court that it's legal to discriminate against trans employees based on their gender identity, saying that banning sex discrimination under Title VII in the workplace does not extend to transgender workers. October 11th, the Department of Health and Human Services proposes in a new memo to change the legal definition of sex under Title IX, requiring individuals to identify according to their gender assigned at birth. This change in legal definition would remove non-discrimination protections for trans, non-binary, and intersex individuals. So October was just a coordinated attack across on the labels of gender, gender identity, on literally the words itself. This is not by accident. This is all designed all to take place exactly at the same time across all of these, plat- these systems in government. And then we get into November. Trump administration asked the United States Supreme Court to circumvent federal appeals courts and issue a ruling on transgender Americans. We had to get them out of the military as soon as possible. Let's get them out of there before Thanksgiving because, you know, we got other things to talk about Thanksgiving than, you know, trans-military ban at the table. February 727th, during a House Armed Services Committee hearing on the administration's ban on transgender service members from serving openly in the armed forces, Trump administration officials used derogatory phrases such as transgender, oh, I got a pointer, huh? Transgender, but they also called gender con- confirmation surgery a disqualifying surgery, comparing it to having cancer, heart disease, or diabetes. Now, this was called out on multiple levels. But that was a big deal. This is how they're trying to justify their ban. And then in March 12th, 
In a late-night decision, the Trump administration announces plans to implement its ban on trans service members from opening service in the country's armed forces. March 11th, in its fiscal year budget, the Trump administration announced new plans to cut $250 million from Global Fund, slash $1.5 billion from PEPFAR, and limit future spending on Medicaid, three components of the ongoing fight against HIV-AIDS. Why is that a big deal? Because, as we know, globally, trans women, especially trans women of color, are the most impacted by HIV against any other community. And here in the United States, trans community are especially um, impacted on Medicaid and Medi-Cal. Two-thirds of our communities, because of high employment rates and poverty, rely on Medi-Cal. We didn't get Medi-Cal before the ACA. Now that we have ACA, it's allowed people to literally live and survive and actually get hormone therapy, and get trans surgery, affirming surgery, affirming trans health, and have saved lives. This is a big deal, even though it wasn't stated on trans, but this will affect trans people and people of color and low-income people more than anybody else. So that's a huge deal. We have the trans military ban goes into effect on April 4th. President Trump and his administration implement its ban Barring trans Americans from police servicing in the country's armed services. So we're just going to hold that up there for a second. So this is just my theory, but I think it's been pretty um, held up along the legal lines. Military, the Pentagon, is the largest employer of trans people in the country. It's the largest employee. There's over 15,000 what we think... according to the RAND Corporation and the study they did, there's over 15,000 service members that identify somewhere around trans or gender non-binary. By removing them, they get a federal victory. And at the federal level, they can say that we don't deserve all the federal employments, right? Because we're not fit to serve. If we're not fit to serve, then we're not fit to have civil rights and status. This would be a huge, this is a huge victory for them to implement the rest of their ban, to essentially erase us across the federal government, which then the states follow. The states follow enacting laws based on the federal guidelines. So this is one of the reasons we think is why he's focused so much on the federal level and the trans service ban. Um, The president stating these messages reinforce this notion that trans people are different and therefore should be stigmatized, that they are not fit to serve. And that comes from Julian Shear. She's a postdoctoral research fellow at the Yale University. This policy was likely to cause increased anxiety, depression, and suicidal feelings among trans service members and could also lead to a spike in stigma and abuse of trans people in wider society. And we already know this has already been impacting our trans service and um, they're still litigating. We just actually had a victory last week in Seattle, in court in Seattle. We had a victory. Um, it wasn't a, a full victory. It did not um, re-implement the stay, but it basically said that trans uh, community, trans people deserve heightened scrutiny. My feelings is if you choose to serve, then you deserve to serve, whoever you are. And then we got Secretary Betsy DeVos. She's a piece of work. She is. Miss Thing, I got to tell you. Um, during a House Education Committee hearing, Education Secretary to Betsy DeVos acknowledged, she acknowledged in this hearing that the administration's choice to rescind the Obama-era bathroom guidance. So remember, day one, the very first act that I documented last year was rescinded, rescinded Obama's education guidelines for trans students. Those, those guidelines covered everything from passive use, bathroom usage at schools, sports. Now, California has their own law, but most of the other states don't. So these guidelines were critical in protecting trans students. Safety, mental health, um, affirming education, access to affirming education. So remember, that was a big deal, and it was one of the first things that was gone. So in this hearing here in April... She acknowledges that when they rescinded the guidelines, which added protections for trans students, it exposed trans students to additional harassment and discrimination in schools across the nation. 
Rep Bonamici was um, questioning her. Did you know when you roll back the guidance that the stress of harassment discrimination can lead to lower attendance and grades as well as depression of trans students? Secretary DeVos, I do know that. So they acknowledge, don't care. That was in April. Before that, in March, Education DeVos, Secretary DeVos, refused to stay on record whether that she would oppose, that she opposed discrimination against LGBT people at schools during a House subcommittee. In February, the Education Department officially confirms they will not investigate or take action on any complaints filed by trans students who are banned from restrooms that match their gender identity. They don't care. She says, I don't care. This is right here. I do know that. I don't care. We're doing it anyways. They don't care. They don't, trans students don't matter. Our most vulnerable students in the country don't care. This is what we're dealing with. And this is why we have to call it out every time. And why we document it. Because when this nightmare is going to be over, it will, one day. We need to get all the stuff that sees red. We have to fight and get them all back. And we have a lot of repairing to do of our kids. So the Equality Act, the Equality Act, H.R. 5, passed unanimously in the House a couple days before that on May 14th. This now, this is historic because the Equality Act is the first time we've been trying to get this thing passed since the 70s, right? We all know in 2010, ENDA. Yeah. Um, San Francisco was, oh, we had lots of protests here in San Francisco. So, of course, this would actually, this is a fully inclusive Equality Act that would add gender, sexual orientation, gender identity to federal civil rights law. What does Trump come out right off the bat? Even before it's passed, as they were setting up the vote in the House, this bill is in its current form is filled with poison pills that threaten to undermine parental and conscious rights. It's right there. It's going to undermine it. So I don't support it. Absolutely opposes discrimination of any kind and supports equal treatment of all officials except for trans people. If you saw any of the hearings on the House floor, specifically every Republican that came out and was allowed, they, they picked on the pros and cons side, and they all talked about the parental rights and they talked about the religious exemptions. <coughs> May 9th, or May 22nd, the Trump administration today announced its plan to deny transgender people experiencing homelessness equal access to shelters. Why is this a big deal? Well, <laughs> I don't think there's a trans person that you don't know that hasn't experienced homelessness across this country. And here in San Francisco in the Bay Area with the housing crisis that we've experienced, not just in the last few years, but for 10, 15 years. Um, the rest of the country is just catching up to the Bay Area and California. This is a big deal because there was an equal access rule to the Obama administration. An equal access rule says you can't discriminate against trans people. You can't discriminate against on gender, right? Because trans people are usually housed. If you're identifying as male, you're supposed to be housed as a male. If you're identifying as trans female, you're supposed to be housed with trans. But most don't seg don't don't follow those guidelines, right? So when I was working on the, on the East Bay, we only had two shelters from Fremont to Oakland. And when I'd have a trans woman of color that I was trying to place at a shelter in Oakland on 73rd at East Oakland Community Project, they had no shelters for trans people, and they would put, him, put her in a room with eight guys. So we kept pushing and pushing. Every day we'd call up and say, hey, I got a trans woman. Can we get it? Even though we kept testing. So we went in. We did full trainings. They managed to get a one room to allow two trans women to stay in one room. And they were supposed to keep that open all the time. We would call every week, say we had a trans woman. Is that room open? They would say, yes, it is. They'll say, we're on our way. I'll go, oh, well, uh, hold on a second, right? Because it was never open. They always filled it. So we kept doing this. This is what they do. They say there's a space. Then when you get there and then you're trying to place your client or your community member, that space ends up being eight guys in a room. Or if you're a trans guy, you're in with... 15 women all in a one common room, and then they're complaining. This is why it's a big deal. So the Equal Access says they can't do that anymore. They're going to remove that. This is going to put so many more trans people out on the streets that they're already. Um, even the National 
Low Income Housing Coalition came out with a statement against this, which is this from this. Um, this is from their statement. Advocacy and civil rights groups condemn Carson proposal to allow discrimination against LGBT people experiencing homelessness. Um, so this this is a big deal and should get the attention. And so Congresswoman Jennifer Wexton, literally the next day, she is from Virginia and she introduced a resolution in the House um, that would make this null and void and counter this so it wouldn't go into effect. So that's running through the House right now. And then this is another big deal that needs attention. The rollback of transgender protections in health care. The Department of Health and Human Services published a proposed rule that would remove all protections and recognition that federal law provides prohibits under the Affordable Care Act, potentially harming 1.5 million. So 1.5 million is the number that we think at all the current data and the Williams Institute has done in several studies in the last four or five years that there's about roughly 1.5 million trans-identified Americans give or take. Now, we know those numbers in the community are off because a lot of community members won't self-identify, won't fill out an anonymous form, don't want anybody to know anything, right? And we know that we're not allowed to fulfill the census because gender identity and sexual orientation is not allowed on the census. And you can't even write this. (laughs) You can't write on it. The minute you write and say trans female, count me, that's null and void because you marked up the form because we all did that in 2010 to protest. Um, so this is the big thing. And I know Transgender Law Center was, was already getting wind of this months ahead of time. So was NCTE that this was going to happen. And everybody was trying to already prepare for this. And it went ahead and it is. The rule is now public, not, is published on the website. You have 60 days. And I think we're like halfway into that now to make comments. This will basically gut protections for trans people across the country. Um, This is a huge deal. As Speaker Pelosi said, the action shows utter contempt for the health, safety, and humanity of women and transgender Americans. So in real time, working at a federally qualified health center in Fremont, we receive federal funding to get our FQ. If you're a federally qualified health center, you get $350,000 from the government, whatever. You get money to operate. That means you have to follow federal law. So if I was our clinic, which serves about four to 500 trans people across the state, would then could discriminate them. They don't have to serve them. They could say they would have to follow the guidelines set by the Trump administration. That's why this is dangerous. Because otherwise they'd have to give up their funding. Now they could say, here's your $350,000 back. Um, we're gonna, we serve everybody, and we're not going to discriminate. Most uh, small agencies are not going to do that because they need the money to operate. Um, and then we get into immigration. And immigration is a thing that doesn't get a lot. We hear all about the migrant situation. We hear about immigration across the country, but we don't hear about trans detainees. We don't hear about trans women and LGBTQ in this these big quote, migrant caravans that aren't that big. Um, And these are heartbreaking. Roxana Fernandez, and I had met her a couple of times over the years. She had been in and out and sent back a couple of times and kept coming back in. So literally a year ago, May 13th, she she died in custody, HIV complications. Um, And... As Flora Bermudez of the Transgender Law Center, the legal director, has said, she'd shown signs of medical distress, including HIV-related complications and pneumonia. She was denied her medical care. An independent autopsy revealed that Hernandez may have been abused in ICE custody before her death. And she was held in the, what they call the freezer, the freezer section, which was where they keep it really cold and you're isolated in solitary confinement. And that's where they put a lot of our trans women in these, um, this freezer, kind of like a box is what they call it. And we get these because of our, when we do get them out, thanks to Transit Law Center and other legal, um, Lambda Legal, ACLU, they tell the stories. Um, they're horrible conditions and it's done on purpose. So Roxana dies a year ago and literally on June 1st, while we're all 
getting ready for June Pride. Johanna Medina died in custody. It's a different situation, but pretty much the same. She actually is a nurse from El Salvador. She's 24. And she knew something was wrong. She asked for medication. They denied it. She reported chest pains. She said, I will rescind my asylum petition. I just want to go back home and see a doctor, according to all the report, the accounts. And they refused. She's like, I'm ready to go back home. I'm done. Just let me go. I'll go back to El Salvador because she knew something was wrong with her body. Literally, she, they have to send her to the hospital emergency room. So they granted her parole that day. Granted her parole. Send her to the hospital. She dies in the hospital that day. Well, because they granted her parole, she wasn't in custody. They're not held accountable. Intentionally, why would you parole somebody just because you sent them to the ER, right? So if somebody at Santa Rita over in Pleasanton goes to the emergency room, they're still in custody, sheriffs, two sheriff deputies accompany them, wait till treatment's over, bring them back. She was granted parole that day. She died that day. This needs to stop. This is happening and not getting the attention it deserves. So while we're all celebrating our pride, Joanna's not in pride. She won't be going to any pride. Neither will her sisters and still in custody. So we need a little bit more heightened um, attention on LGBTQ and trans immigrants. This immigration issue is huge. June pride, Donald Trump really doesn't like us in June pride month. I mean, so that starts. So this is just kind of a, June 5th, during his visit to the United Kingdom, Trump continued to use discredited information about trans. He was actually in an interview and they asked him about it. He goes, oh, well, you know, trans people are drug users because they take these massive amounts of drugs, you know, to to change their body. Massive amounts of drugs. I'm on estradiol, three milligrams a day. Half the time I forget to take it. I get a little moody, according to my wife. Um, Cheap is like $20 at Kaiser. Massive, massive little bottle like this. Um, I think I take more Tylenol for my knee and my back. Um, massive drugs as a means to justify his ban allowing trans Americans from opening serving in the country's armed forces. He also said in this interview that it cost $250,000 for a one soldier to transition and the government's paying for that. 250000 I believe the latest cost is like 20, 22 to 25 US dollars, 25000 and most of us don't get our surgeries here in America because it costs twenty-two to 25000 that we don't have. Um, so once again, the lies. Same day, June 5th, Trump administration announced they would cut federal funding for an HIV-AIDS research program being conducted by the University of California. June 7th, Trump administration denies all U.S. embassy building, buildings from flying the historic LGBT flag, um, which U.S. embassies are defying right now and flying it. They are flying it. June 12th, after using the Pulse shooting as a campaign move in 2016, President Trump failed to recognize the third anniversary of the horrific shooting at Orlando's Pulse nightclub, which killed 49 LGBTQ people, of which many were um, trans-identified or drag um, performers. You are listening to the Commonwealth Club of California. Hear thousands of our podcasts on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. And when you're in the Bay Area, please join us live for one of our 500 programs each year. You can find us online at CommonwealthClub.org. Now, back to our program. We can't have any discussion around Trump administration or just trans issues and civil rights without talking about the trans violence and the murders. This has been an epidemic for years. It's getting worse. Um, It's a national crisis. Many of us have been doing this work for a long time. Literally June 20 or June 13th, Zoe Spears was just killed last Thursday in DC. She was 23. Um, we have 12 trans people that have been violently killed so far that we know of. We always say that we know of because we know there's some out there that have been reported on. 11 are black trans women. We have a serial killer was just arrested in Dallas. 
just arrested. It's not even getting hardly any attention. Um, there are four cases in Dallas, three trans women killed, one last year, two this year, within a week apart. And there was one trans woman who was stabbed, but she survived. He's been arrested. But this is just an overall epidemic of violence against trans women. The uptick in violence over the last eight months in Dallas alone against black trans women is reflective of a national pattern. Um, so this needs more attention to be called out. I literally have been adding slides like every day. I just added this one, literally. What's today? It's the 17th? June 15th. I was literally adding this yesterday morning. I'm like, can I just be done with this? June 15, trans people face epidemic of violence, the American Medical Association warms. So what they did was at their annual conference, they actually took action because of the violence and the murders. Um, it's just like, it's kind of like similar. Think about the gun violence. They won't allow at the federal government to call it a public health emergency or public health, right? They're allowed, they're, they're forbidden. They're, this is basically the AMA taking the same, kind of finally saying this, yeah, it's just a public health crisis, um, and we are making a statement. The medical body issued a warning about an epidemic of violence against the trans community. And so they have some strategies, form partnerships with medical organizations and stakeholders to educate members of the public, advocate for consistent collection and reporting data of hate crimes across all levels of law enforcement that includes demographic information of victims, birth, sex, and gender identity. Um, so this is kind of a big deal because we know that the AMA is one of the, rec the recognized medical body. All right. Everybody take a breath. That was less like, oh, my God, Tiffany just beat us on the head with this like hate stick. Okay. I'm, don't kill the messenger. I'm just reporting on the messenger of Trump. Um, all right. So let's take a breath and let's move on. Because despite all this, despite all this, our community member has been, communities have been thriving. We've been successful. There are some amazing accomplishments across the country, both individual and collectively. And so that's what I want to focus on this next half. And I want to allow time for some questions because I may not have any answers, but this is a forum where we can actually have some questions answered and talk about. And maybe some people in the audience and some of our other trans community members here and activists and, you know, who've been working on these issues have some solutions. These words are particularly important, trans resilience, strength, resistance, and perseverance. Now, if you're trans identified, we're getting a little tired of always being the flag bearers of resilience, strength, resistance, and perseverance, and we should not have to be. But we have always been the ones to save our own lives. Um, and so we now have unprecedented corporate support. So after the trans erasure came out in the New York Times, 56 major companies responded um, to push back. Within a few days, that turned into 880 companies. So historically, trans community have never had corporate support. It wasn't until like North Carolina's bathroom bill came into play that corporations started really saying, um, no, no. You can't discriminate. We support everybody. It's good business to hire trans people now. It wasn't 10 years ago. It is now. I don't know what changed in 10 years. We were able to do the job 10 years ago. We're better now. But okay, we'll take it. Um, so 180 companies are pushing back. Um, they actually, corporate, big corporate America stopped HBA2 in its original form because they refused to go to North Carolina. They refused to build in North Carolina. They refused to um, move headquarters. So this is a big deal that this came out. Statement comes following New York Times report that federal agencies are discussing attempts to redefine sex in an effort. I love to use air quotes against them because they like to use it against us. So <laughs> Trump, President Trump. <laughs> So, um, since the statement from 56 was published, an additional 49 enterprise businesses and 73 small business companies have joined. This is a big deal. First of all, before I even talk about this slide, we should never have our civil rights up to the ballot box at debate for anybody. Anybody. Nobody's civil rights, nobody's right to exist should be determined by somebody else's ability to cast. We learned that at Proposition 8, but now that's the thing, is take civil rights, put them to the ballot. And in Massachusetts, they had a vote um, 
that overwhelmingly would have denied basic trans civil rights. And the Bay State voted overwhelmingly for transgender civil rights. This was in November 6th, the recent midterm elections. In a stunning rebuke of anti-transgender lies and prejudice, the voters of Massachusetts have roundly defeated a measure that would have left tens of thousands of trans Bay Staters with no legal protection from discrimination in public spaces. Without the law, nearly 30,000, I'm going to leave that there, 30,000 would have been stripped of a crucial protection, allowing them to participate as equal members of a society. Up to the ballot box. Whether I get to participate as an equal member of society. The ballot initiative joins 300 other failed legislative attempts at the state level to restrict or repeal non-discrimination protections for trans people in the last three years. It's a big deal. So this is the thing is, so when they lose in the legislature, then they get it on the ballot to get rid of us, to repeal our civil rights. It's just this never, it's always a chess game. Okay, we're going to lose here, so we're going to go over here. This is why we need to finally have a federal law like the Equality Act. All right, more good news. On June 10th, more supportive Americans. Survey shows Americans are becoming more supportive of transgender rights amid federal rollback. So while Trump administration is pushing, we're finally winning popular opinion. It's kind of a good thing. People like us now. I think we're always likable. But, you know, some of us have to prove ourselves. So, um, Increasing support for trans rights stacks fairly closely with the large increase in support for gay, lesbian, bisexual Americans. Um, this is Robert P. Jones. He's the CEO of Public Religion Research Institute. This is a key one down here. If you look at this bottom one, see, I'm going to back. I need some exercise. All right. Jones also says a number of Americans who report having a close friend or family members who is transgendered has doubled since 2015, and that having a close relationship with someone transgender is strongly correlated with holding more supportive views of transgender rights. What did Harvey Milk say when he, when he defeated the Briggs Initiative back in the 73s, in the 70s? That's why he wanted us to be visible, because if you know somebody, it's harder to discriminate against somebody. But so many trans and gender non-binary Americans, it's just not safe for us to come out, and we're not as visible as as we would like to be. And safety is a huge thing. Safety trumps visibility. Um, but that's my mom. My mom likes me, so, you know, that wasn't always the case. So. All right. It's all about politics in the midterms. The last two years, we have, last four years, we have been building some historic elections. And so these are really big and deserve a lot of attention because we're going to keep building on them. So in 2017, we elected some of the first trans legislators, state, city, um, across the country. These were the biggest victories. We have Lisa Middleton over here. And she is the first openly trans city council member in Palm Springs and the first openly trans non-judicial elected official in the state of California. Um, Lisa Middleton actually is from the Bay Area. She was in transgender San Francisco back in the 90s with me. Um, and she was out in Concord area for a while. Jerry Cannon won a seat on the Summer Swiss School Board, New Hampshire. We know the historic Danica Roms became the state delegate of Virginia, the first out trans person ever elected to state legislature. Just equal as important was Andrea Jenkins, became the first openly trans black woman elected to public office in the United States, Minneapolis City Council. Philip Philippe Cunningham joined her as a second trans candidate. So Minnesota City Council elected two. Huge. And Minnesota has always been a leader. They were a leader before California. Um, Tyler, Titus, Erie School Board, making him the first out trans person elected office in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Stephanie Coots, Steph, she goes by one spot on the Dorval City Council. It's just northeast of Atlanta. That's a big victory in Atlanta area. So these are huge. These were followed up in 2018 by Brianna Titone Triumph to become the first trans representative in Colorado. Um, Jerry Cannon then turned around and went and ran and was elected in the New Hampshire. And she had said when she won her school board seat, she was going to go for um, the House. Um, and then Christine Holquist became the first trans gubernatorial candidate in United States history, although she did not win. Um, she finished third. These are huge victories. Seat at the, we need a seat at the table 
And we've been pushing for trans political candidates for a long time. And so no longer can you say, well, you're trans, so you can't, you know, we're not going to let you because you're trans. And it's no longer a barrier. Probably one of the biggest community collective-wide across this country is the historic pose. You know I wasn't going to leave that out. Pose. If you haven't seen Pose on FX, it's historic, it's groundbreaking. It is the largest and first cast of all trans women of color. The five leads are, um, if you know anything about Hollywood, that's not always the case. Representation matters. Let me say that again. Representation matters. Everybody on NPR. Repeat after me. Representation matters. <laughs> Having a seat at the table matters because then you can create the content and you have a decision in the decision making. So Blanca, so MJ Rodriguez, India Moore, Dominique Jackson, Angelica Ross, and Hallie Sahar are all played by trans women of color. If you haven't seen the show, you should. It doesn't stop there in front of the camera. Many of the writers are trans women, including Janet Wamak. Our Lady J from Transparent and director Silas Howard is a co-producer. This is historic television. Unfortunately, it's not on mainstream um, prime time, but they're in their second season. And this is like a huge, I mean, the watch parties across the country in the bars and the communities. They are award winning. Janet Mock just won a director for the first uh she won an award being the first trans woman color directing TV show. India Moore, who actually identifies as non-binary, just was the first trans woman on the cover of Elle. They won a Peabody Award over here. And the last one down there, they got their first Golden Globe nomination. That's what I would call must-watch television. Um, so this is, this is worth everything right here for many of us in our community. Um, it starts as a start sports history and cycling. Rachel McKinnon becomes the first transgender woman to win the track world title in cycling. Patricio Manuel becomes the first trans male boxer to win a pro fight. This is the new battlefront. If you're not paying attention, it's not getting a lot of play, but this is the new battlefront trying to restrict trans men and women from sports. Um, it's an old playbook. It went on in the 70s with Renee Richards. They're bringing it out and they're dusting it off and revamping it because everything old is new again. So, you know, trans women are really men competing against women. And trans men, you know, shouldn't be competing. They're really women. Shouldn't be competing against men. So they're bringing that out right now because they're losing in other ways. So this is something that we need to be keeping watch of and fighting back. Um, there's huge Twitter wars all over the sports thing. And Rachel McKinnon is right up in the middle of the whole Twitter war, pushing back. Oscar history. Has anybody seen this movie? A fantastic woman. It's amazing, right? Yeah. Um, Daniela Vega. So um, first of all, a fantastic woman went on to win Chile's basically best foreign film award. She's the lead actress. She's the first female trans woman to be a lead actress in a foreign film. And she is now the first trans woman to present an Oscar at the Academy Awards in March. Big deal. Um, so again, as we are pushed off the main stage by the Trump administration and trying to be relegated to second-class citizens and literally hiding in our houses because we can't go in public because we have no rights, around the, people are saying, nope, nope, nope. Not here. We're going to keep thriving and we're going to keep moving forward. This is a big deal because another front has been trans prisoner rights. And I know Cecilia has been on the front lines of the criminal justice reform. This is a big deal. Why is it a big deal? Because just because you're incarcerated doesn't mean you don't have rights. And if you are incarcerated, whether you're in state or federal, they have to take care of you. They have to, it, it's, it's in the constitution. They have to provide for your health and well-being. So, on February 5th, Leslie Ann Manning in 2013, she was a 50-year-old trans woman. Okay. Oh, God. 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 Don't read the screen. It's bad. Really bad. Allie, don't look either. She was raped while in prison in New York State Sullivan Correctional Facility in men's prison, which is typically what happens. Since then, she's fought to get the New York Department of Corrections and Community Supervision to recognize the harm she endured while they're in their care. 
Five years later, on February 5th, Manning won a 100000 settlement from the state, failing to keep her safe. This is the first time the state of New York has paid a prisoner for failure to protect them from sexual abuse. It is one of the largest amounts ever rewarded involving a trans prisoner alleging rape or sexual assault. So this is a big deal, and hopefully this is groundbreaking. It sets precedent, and we will see these victories across the country because I will tell you there's probably one of these, if not more, lawsuits almost in every state. Um, so this is a big deal on another front that we're fighting on. Um, the Trump administration, I documented last time how he has failed to implement PREA, um, the Pr- uh, Prison Rape Elimination Act that protects trans prisoners, and he has rescinded protections on that. That's his latest front. So that's why this is a big deal, the state's victory at the state level. Let's talk about California before we get in. We have a few more minutes. I'm going to wrap this up really quickly, and we're going to end with California because California leads. And as Governor Newsom said when he was the mayor, so as California goes, so goes the rest of the nation. And we have a lot to be proud of um, in California. So if you don't know about the big deal about Compton's Transgender Cultural District, um, it's a huge deal. Named after the first trans, lesbian, gay, bisexual civil rights uprising in the United States. It didn't, I hate to tell you, it didn't happen at Stonewall. Just didn't happen. There was some coffee thrown in the face of some cops in Compton's cafeteria in 1966, and that started the first uprising. Um, So the district recognizes that. It encompasses six blocks in the southeastern Tenderloin, crosses over Market Street to include two blocks of 6th Street. Um, The executive director, the second executive director, Arya Said, is a black trans woman. So we've had, and Honey Mahogany was the first. So the executive director of the first trans cultural district in the world are black women, trans women. That's a big deal. Say it out loud, black trans women in charge. All right. Don't make me do the wave here. Governor Newsom, how many of you know that he has the highest ranking trans person in the state? Didn't know that? See, that's why the Commonwealth Club pays me nothing to come here and tell you that. (laughs) His name is J.P. Petrucione. He was actually in Governor um, Mayor Newsom's administration here in San Francisco. He becomes the high is ranking out transgender appointee in state history. He will be t- taking over Governor Newsom's um, communications team. It's a big deal. And last but not least, I wasn't going to include this slide, but my wife was pushing and said, you will do it. So happy wife, happy life, right? <laughs> so Tiffany Woods became the first transgender health specialist at the K- California Department of Public Health Office of AIDS in November of 2018. And, um, all these years in the HIV epidemic, we've never had a trans health specialist at the office. We've been talking about it, advocating. Um, she's also one of the few trans health specialists working at a state public health department in the U.S. On June 1st, she became the first trans woman elected as a co-chair of the LGBT caucus of the California Democratic Party here at the state convention on June 1st. And at that convention, the LGBT caucus, if you don't know, is the largest body in the California Democratic Party that's LGBT-focused. And we are the largest Democratic Party in the country. Um, It's a little bit of a big deal, but anyway. And on that note, I'm going to leave you with this quote before we can get into a few minutes of questions. Uh, It's not fair to expect trans advocates, activists, and I would add advocates, to fix transphobia. It's not our job. It's something that everyone is required to fix. And this is a quote from the Marsha P. Johnson Institute from Elle Hearns, who is a black trans woman. And she is the executive director. Again, it's not fair to expect trans advocates, activists to fix transphobia. It's something that everyone is required to fix. It's everyone's responsibility. And that's why we need everyone's help because right now we are at the height of transphobia in this country. And we're going to need everybody's help to protect me and Cecilia and our young people and our kids and our most vulnerable. It's up to all of us because we can't do it alone because many of us are busy surviving. And I'm privileged to be up on this date and be able to call this out. Um, And so I call everybody to action to help continue holding the Trump administration accountable 
and fighting for our most vulnerable because we are all somebody's child who deserves that protection and love just like anybody else. And on that note, I'm open for questions. And thank you. You want to take a mic? Uh, does anybody have any questions? Because we have about mm, six or seven minutes. Yep. Okay. Charlie, we used, we used to work together. Yes. <laughs> so, Tiffany, in a time in which it appears that we are in total darkness and discrimination and essentially a national abyss, given that we are now in a historic election for the soul of this country's survival mm-hmm. and for our community's survivals, where do you think that we are going to go at this point, given that we are in the midst of a very bumpy campaign season? We're coming up on where the House will be reelected. The Senate will be, 33 seats of the Senate will be up for grabs. And, of course, the presidency. You and I have had private conversations mm-hmm. already about where things are. But I've, uh, as, as I was coming here today from work, I was just thinking to myself, there are so many things at stake. And... I don't have all the answers, and I'm sure you feel the same way, but I kind of wanted your perspective as to where we are and where we need to go and how to get there, maybe. So politically, I will say we know that elections matter and have consequences. Um, As much as we talk about 16 and what happened in 16, um, 34 million Americans did not vote. I don't know if you've seen those numbers, but 30 minutes, uh, all of the data is finally in. 34 million did not vote. That was critical. Um, so we know that Hillary, had, Hillary Clinton had 3 million more votes than Donald Trump. Imagine if 34 million people would have voted. Imagine if half of that. Um, so it's critical that we vote. It's critical that we register voters. It's critical that we get the message out that getting out there and vote. Um, we're not going to win. <clears throat> Nobody's going to win this war, culture war, by sitting at home and waiting for somebody else to come and save us. It's up to all of us. It, it's get it involved. Get involved. It doesn't matter right now what candidate you're picking and choosing because it's so early on, but get involved. Start listening to the action. But we've got to, in my opinion, it's not about a purity test of who could be the most progressive candidate or this right or this far. It's about who can win. And we need to all align whoever that nomination is. And we're not going to even, there's so many even names. I haven't even picked, I haven't even joined a campaign yet. I'm too busy. I want, we, we have internal work here in California to do. One, we need to come together. We need to start working together across political spectrums, across communities. We need to focus on our intersectionalities and figure out where we have our collective strengths and what are issues we can pull together. We need to come together. And whatever the candidate that wins the nomination, we need to support and back. Because this is a time where we can sit there, well, uh, he, I'm not going to vote for her or she because that's not my candidate. We saw what happened last time. So I think it's, it's we don't pick a candidate right now. Get involved in three or four. I know, I know delegates right now in the Democratic Party that are like supporting four candidates at one time and donating money to all of them because they like all four. Right. They like, you know, we have an out gay candidate for the first time in history. We have some strong women. We don't, you know, there's Sanders, there's Warren, there's Kamala Harris, there's Pete Buttigieg. But a gig. Trust me, that's the way it's pronounced. But gig gig. They have these placards at the convention just to pronounce his name. It's critical that, I mean, people are supporting multiple candidates right now to push them forward so that they show up, they come to the top. But I think internally, we really need to come together um, across all of our communities and pull them in and pull them together. It's just, and we got to get, just think about all the 17 and 18 year olds that did not vote last time and 16 year olds. So right now voter registration drives are going across the country to get these 17 year olds who are going to be eligible to vote by the time the election starts. That's going to be key to get all these young people registered and educated and ready to vote. So that's kind of this, this uh, something, because it's a really crucial get out the young vote. Okay. Mm-hmm. We only have a couple of minutes. Oh, okay. I have a two-parter. It won't be long. Yeah. Uh, the first thing is, why do you think that all of these these 
trans are being murdered. Do you think it's ignorance on people, or do they fear them? I just, it breaks my heart every time that you hear that somebody's murdered like yeah. that. I think there's multiple questions, and I've been working on these issues for a long time. Um, as you know, I had one of my staff murdered. Um, I think it's ingrained racism and transphobia and homophobia in our culture. It's ingrained, it's systematic, it's institutional, and it goes back to, um, I think some of it is ignorance. Some people just aren't going to be open-minded and change no matter what. You can't change their mind, you can't change their heart. Um, I think it's back to, and it's not to it, simplify it, but we kill what we don't know, what we don't understand. And it's easier to do that than to get to know somebody and love somebody. Um, no one law is going to stop some dirtbag from killing somebody. And if we know, if you, if, you, if you really know about the trans violence against the black trans community, um, a lot of it is somebody, it's, it's who they know. It's a date. Um, it's a boyfriend. It's, it's um, guilt. It's, if I'm attracted to you, what does that make me? Um, right? Am I gay? Am I homophobic? Oh, my God, my culture says I can't. And so let me get rid of you so that I can show face to my culture or my community or my religion. Um, so there's no one topic. It's, it's, again, it's, it's, I don't even think it's education. It's about um, all of us being a little bit more aware. And it, our communities have to be educated and supportive. Um, so it's hard. We good? We uh, all right. Well, sadly, we are actually out of time. Time yeah. and um, and, and I'll I, be around for a little bit. Yes, uh, you I was about to say that I'll yeah. you'll hang out. And Tiffany and I worked together. Uh, she was a wonderful coworker. Did wonderful work at that facility. And I'm delighted beyond measure that you agreed to come back and speak. So um, unfortunately, we're out of time, ladies and gentlemen. And I hope you have a wonderful evening. Thank you, everyone. Safe travels. <laughs>